Welcome to the Insider's Guide to Finance, where we dive into stories from the front lines of financing public and private companies. I host seasoned CEOs, fund managers, bankers, brokers, and business experts who will answer your questions about how to properly engage investors, finance opportunities, and build outstanding success stories. We dig into the educational how-tos and mechanics of structuring good deals. You'll also hear about strokes of luck, tense negotiations, and the pressures of closing, while also getting insights on how to best navigate the public markets. In this episode, Mark Bowden, an internationally acclaimed body language and communications expert, talks with us about how to be a powerful communicator. Mark tells us about communication techniques that help us stand out, win trust, and build credibility. It is about influence and persuasion, and delivering your message when the stakes are at their highest. When raising money or engaging investors, the importance of confident communication can't be underestimated. Now to give you some context, Mark has coached and spoken to audiences around the world. He's talked to some of the biggest names out there, including Shopify, Dell, Viacom, RBC, Unilever, Microsoft, and the list goes on. Mark makes the point that great communication is not a gift. It is something we all have. But you have either learned how to do it well, or you haven't. The great thing is, is that we can all learn and the outcomes of being a better communicator have a huge return on investment. And before we start, be sure to check out the show notes as Mark's provided free access to his program on how to deliver a winning keynote. Enjoy the show. On the line, I have Mark Bowden. Mark, thanks a lot for taking the time to, uh, to come on to the podcast. Um, just as a, as a brief bit of background, but I'd really like your, your input on this. You, you've become an internationally renowned expert on, and speaker on nonverbal communication. And uh, this rap sheet goes, goes along, including uh, work with Dell, Walmart, Toyota, Nike, Microsoft, which are just some amazing names, but also entrepreneurs who are, who are starting out and, and need to communicate effectively. So, so thank you for being here. Yeah, I'm really excited for this episode. Oh, thanks for having me. Thanks for having me, Corey. Really, really appreciate it. I want to start with asking a bit about your background and what brought you here and, and more about Truth Plains. So uh, take it away. Yeah. So uh, look, you know, the, 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 the header on the rap sheet uh, says that uh, my name is Mark Bowden. I'm an expert in human behavior and body language. And what I do is to help people all over the world stand out, win trust, gain credibility every time that they speak. And I do that through, as you say, keynote speeches. I've written four books on human behavior and body language. Uh, I, I give training seminars. I make lots of videos. Uh, so I try and uh, disseminate. Oh, I do podcasts just like this one here. <laughs> uh, just, just, just to try and get out help to people on how to get their message across and get what they want uh, most effectively mainly through the idea of that their their nonverbal communication their behavior the imagery and the movement and the situations and context that you put around what you say has a massive effect on what people perceive has been said and most importantly the meaning that they take from it and and through the meaning the action that they take. So I guess put really simply is the images that you can create 
convert very directly into the action that you want people to take uh, for themselves or on your behalf or for your community, your industry, you know, whatever area you're in. So I have this expert in expertise in in um, nonverbal communication, which goes way back to being a kid and being obsessed with imagery and movement and and uh, you know how these stories, um, you know t- these 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 pictures make stories in our mind, and so I've worked over my time in 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 visual arts, in film, theatre, TV, um, in advertising, in areas of just plain old you know government and and political propaganda, uh, all kinds of uh, areas, and then finally ended up in business and organisations helping them tell their stories. Hope that that makes sense and, and and helps you understand that that rap sheet, Corey. Yeah, it's. I mean, what an interesting path there. And when talking about nonverbal communication, what's the statistic of people's perception? Uh, I, I remember a statistic that it's something like eighty percent of our communication is nonverbal. Yeah, often the uh, the number that you hear touted around is is something like 93% of all communication is nonverbal. Well, of course, that 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 can't be accurate at all. And it, that's a misreading or a misinterpretation of some science that a, a guy called uh, Morabian did, where what he was actually looking at was what is the information that our mind needs in order to make a get a theory together as to somebody else's feeling and intention. And what he worked out from his science, which was pretty good science, and it still stands today, is that when we're watching another human being or or listening to another human being, uh, the majority of the information that we want, our mind wants, in order to judge them and judge their feeling and intention around that message, the majority of the information is visual. Mm. Put that at around 55%. Uh, some of the rest of the information is is the the tonality of the sound, the kind of music that might be happening around that that the voice might be playing, but only a tiny tiny percentage around about seven percent is the actual words so I guess what what we 're saying is is you might be speaking, but in order to get a sense of what you really mean and intend. We're not listening to the words. We're watching you and we're hearing the noises that you're making. And then we're putting them together with the words. And if what we got out of the pictures and the sound, if that conflicts with the words, we move, we bias towards the pictures and the sounds as being the truth and not the words. Uh, does that, does that make sense as to what he was actually getting across by this 93%? Yes, I, I understand now, and and you know definitely more clarity on the how that breaks down. But to, I mean, that's right there. You make such a good point that if you've got a a conflicting message between your your movement and your actions to to your words, it's as if we default over to the movement and the actions. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, let me just do it with the tone of my voice here. So I'm going to use the phrase "I'm happy." Okay, which is, I mean, as a phrase, it's pretty, it's pretty clear. Yeah. But I'm going to do it with a downward intonation in my voice. I'm happy. <laughs> it doesn't sound very convincing there, Mark. Right. So, so, so it's interesting. You've just, you've just fed back to me 
your assessment of that pitch, okay? And you said, it doesn't sound very convincing. Well, the words are clear. The pitch of my words are clear, but the pitch of my voice is not aligned. And so what's your gamble? Okay, I'm happy. What's your gamble? Am I happy or not happy? Which, where are you going to buy us? Oh, yeah, it's, it's off to the not happy. I'm, I'm getting told a, told a line here. Right, but I was so clear with my words. And if I sent just the words to somebody, if I sent that in an email, they might bias towards what I said in my words. But you're biasing towards what I said with the tone of my voice. So now we've got a big difference between who got the email and who was pitched with the pitch of the voice. Mm -hmm. And now as an organization, the people who just got the emails are not aligned with the people who turned up to my vocal presentation of it. Yeah. But now if I put an upward intonation in my voice, I'm happy. Now what's your bias now? Uh, you lean to, to the positive. Right. <laughs> But do you know if I'm happy or not? What? <laughs> you sound happy, but right, no. I sound happy. <laughs> but so, the trust is going to go with the right. Yeah, yeah. So, so look, it, it's coming down to trust. It's coming down to trust and credibility, and you're trusting the message that is more aligned than the one that is misaligned, and yet both of them are maybe not accurate. Both of them are maybe not the truth, but you believe the one that's aligned is the truth more than the one that is misaligned. Mm. Now, that's really important because what this plays upon is the inherent uh, instinctual biases that you have in your, uh, in your mind, same as everybody else's. Everybody biases pretty much the same way. It's a pretty good gamble that that experiment that I just did with you is going to work the same way on the majority of people on the planet. You know, this, this actually starts to touch on to one of the questions that I have about the science of communication. Um, so I'm really looking forward to get there. Uh, what I want to ask, though, is the name of your company is Truthplane. Mm -hmm. um, and there's some significance to that name. Yeah. What, what is that? Yeah, so uh, I named the company after essentially the best technique that I that I have that I created, uh, and I, I wrote down in in my first book, Winning Body Language, which is the use of something that I call the truth plane, which is uh, there are what we, we as human beings uh, in the model that I've created, we have horizontal planes of gesture, i.e. horizontal heights on our bodies at which we can sustain our gestures. And those different horizontal heights have a profound effect, in fact, the most profound effect on how people judge our feeling and intention, and most important, our trust and credibility levels. And it just so happens that when you gesture at navel height, at kind of stomach height, you are trusted more and you're seen as more credible. Now, there's some important reasons for that that we could go into. But ultimately, I uh, coined that, that gesture plane as the truth plane because mm -hmm. people judge you as more truthful when you are gesturing and speaking at that horizontal height, navel height. And it's such an important technique that I decided to name the company 
after it. You know, why, why not name the company after your best piece of technology? After your, your secret weapon of sorts. Absolutely, secret yeah. weapon, which is a very open weapon. And it's not, and it's yeah, not yeah. one that we didn't all have. What happens is, is we rarely use it under stress and pressure. Under stress and pressure, we tend to gesture uh, consistently at other uh, gesture planes, at other horizontal heights, and not at that height, which means under stress and pressure, we will be less trusted and seen as less credible when our content, when our the technology we might be pitching or the idea we might be pitching is exactly the same as when we were, uh, when we were confident. Mm. So, so what happens is if you use the truth plane on purpose, you are able to, sus to sustain that image and that perception of being trustworthy and credible, even when you're under stress and pressure, which is when most people on the planet will go, I'm not buying this. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel right. I bet it's, there's something up with this. It's not right. Well, there's nothing up with the idea. The idea is a good idea. There's nothing up with the numbers. The numbers are good numbers. It's just your presenter is under stress and pressure, and they're leaking the signals of that, and they haven't countermeasured that. Hmm. And the truth so, claim is the countermeasure for that. So what you can almost, uh, uh, I mean, you're hurting yourself going into these, uh, to these pitches, to these boardrooms, to, into an audience where you haven't practiced and uh, perhaps you've got your words down, but your gestures in themselves can uh, sabotage the work you're doing, the message you're looking to carry forward. Uh, and so what I'm hearing here is that it's, it's about deliberately practicing having the gestures within that truth plane or within the uh, that that are aligned with the message that you want to put forward. Yeah, absolutely. It's about um, it's about deciding, being tactical and and strategic about your gestures, just as much as you'd be tactical and strategic about the words you use, the story that you tell. So people will, you know, they'll sweat over their PowerPoint or their, you know, the, the, the words of their pitch, but they don't seem to sweat over what, what am I, what's my body going to do? What's my movement going to be? And why? Because they, they just don't have the vocabulary. They've got this vocabulary of words that they learn to, at, at university or, uh, you know, in their, in their school of hard knocks or, you know, from their mentors, where, wherever they got the words to use. Those are well-practiced, but they haven't become well-practiced. They haven't become practitioners of how to use their behavior to influence and persuade. They're just stuck with the words at the moment. And the words could be very, very good, but ultimately... The, the people uh, hearing the pitch are judging it, and they're not judging it on the words. They're judging it on the behavior around the words, in, mm -hmm. in terms of trust and credibility. Hmm. Uh, it, it's, it's, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to the questions to come because um, this is, to our audience, it's so important. I mean, you've got CEOs and management teams who are out there engaging investors in the public markets or the private markets to raise money or to uh, convince them to buy more of the stock and increase mm -hmm. the stock price. But there's no doubt that judgment is passed when that CEO walks into a boardroom. Mm 
by the bankers, the brokers, and the investors. And not having practiced this stuff, or frankly, even being aware of their, their physical behaviors and just relying on their words and maybe a fancy PowerPoint, it sounds like that's a major detriment. Oh, absolutely. So I've worked with many, many CEOs of, of public companies, uh, newly public companies, especially uh, CFOs of public companies and newly public companies, where pretty much the majority of what we've worked on sometimes is how they walk into that shareholder meeting. Hmm. You know, the image that they give across because they're judged immediately. And, and what they've thought is, well, the numbers will speak for themselves. And I guarantee the numbers do not speak for themselves. The numbers are just integers. Integers have value once you put those integers in context. And so, you know, their numbers will be next to other numbers. But some of those shareholders and very powerful ones don't understand the context. They don't understand the value of that number given the other number that it's next to. And so what they're doing is they're looking at the CEO, the CFO, they're looking at the whole leadership team up there sometimes to go, do I trust the numbers? And sometimes Mm. the leadership team perform in such a way that it causes uh, mistrust and a sense of uncredibility or incredibility. Mm-hmm. It's just like these are these numbers are cooked in some way. They're just they're just over the top. It can't be possible. Well, it is possible because they're audited numbers. So those are the numbers. And what will happen is is that you get boards, for example, going. Well, you know, can you go and get us? You know, some. You know, can you come back with some other numbers? It's like there aren't any other numbers. These are the numbers. So what's happened is, is they haven't trusted the numbers because they haven't trusted the person delivering the numbers because the numbers showed up as untrustworthy because the context in which they were delivered, which was the human deliverer, the context mm. was not trustworthy for them. Well, you can change that and you can change that within seconds with your behavior. Wow, fascinating! It's um, with that, what are what are the great characteristics, the characteristics characteristics of great communicators that you see? Mm. Well, so let's go to the nonverbal uh, piece, and let's well, actually, let's just generalize around everything. The, the number one thing thing is just simplicity, keeping it simple. I would say to people, make a choice, make it bigger, keep it tidy. Whenever you're thinking about a communication. Decide on the one thing you are communicating, not the two things, not the three things, not the five. I mean, I have so many clients who are going, well, I'm going to get about, you know, how how many things do you want to get across in this meeting? Well, I think there's seven, maybe eight nights. Okay. They will remember maybe three and they'll be able to do one of them. One of them will be able to be turned into action. So let's keep it simple. Choose the three that you want to get across. And let's choose the one that you really want people to do. What do you want them to do? So the moment you can take your message, great communicators, when they take their message and they just make a decision about here's the thing I want to get across, then suddenly the whole communication and their movement starts to become, it starts to have clarity. 
essentially. And with, without clarity, there cannot be understanding. Without a leader being followable, they cannot be a leader. So, so you've got to, you know, the first thing I'd, I'd say to people is, can you look at your message and can you be honest with yourself and go, is, is there clarity there? Is there one simple thing that we're going to try and get across and get people to do that is followable, that they could actually do? And I could, I could do it and they could almost see me doing it. Even I might physically do it or I might describe myself as the leader physically doing it. We, mm. listen, we do it in politics all the time. Uh, and it's a piece of propaganda whereby uh, we tell the electorate on such and such a date, put an X in the box next to this name. And we get the candidate on video showing them how to do that. Hmm. That's the, because in the end, what do we want them to do? Put an X next to our candidate's name. That's where the rubber hits the road. That's the deal. That's the sign off. And it, and, and you can say all you like around here's our policy and here's this and here's that. But I guarantee you, if you hammer the message of, you know, on, on, on May the 2nd, uh, you know, look out for the name Mark Bowden and put an X next to my name and I show you my name and a box and doing a big black X in that, I'm going to get more votes than the person who's, who tried to get across their policy. So what, what I'm hearing there is, I mean, you've got three things and I like threes. And this is something that I, that I tell, um, uh, the, the people that I work with, you got to put them into threes, maybe fives at most. Yeah. And, but to expand on that, you're putting down that. And one of those has to be in form of taking an action. I, and that's I would, what you're saying I would about. So. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, because ultimately that's what you want to, you're trying to move people into action. Thought will only go so far. You know, we'll, we'll, look, if I need investors, will thought turn into them moving, moving the, the money electronically to my share or, you know, or signing the document? Well, it goes some of the way, but what we're trying to nudge them into is the actual action. And when we start to describe that action and show that action, uh, our opportunity for them taking that action goes way, way up. Mm, okay. And the rule of three, by the way, is a great, uh, a great rule. There's, uh, you know, I would say absolutely go for that rule of three. But some of the best rule of threes uh, have been where all three of the things are the same thing. Tony Blair once made a, uh, one of his most famous um, party speeches where he said the the top priorities of the of new labor are education 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 <laughs> well that's that's a brilliant rule of 3 because everybody leaves going okay the top priority is education and he did that through the rule of 3 uh, so he break he uses the convention breaks the convention in order to strengthen the convention Interesting. Interesting. So that's, I'm going to actually jump forward to a question that I have down here of playing off of Tony Blair. Who are the, the most famous speakers or orators that you study the most? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, there's all kinds of people out there. I think, I think Blair is a really good, you know, back in the, in the, uh, in the late nineties, um, Blair is a great example of somebody who had great speech writers, 
um, and, and great ability to use body language uh, as well in order to create clarity. Uh, he would talk in in sound bites, almost in poetry, almost in just shortened sentences. Hmm. Uh, so, so he's trying to get across chunks of meaning. Uh, uh, of feeling almost, which go with his body language rather than, than trying to explain quite complex ideas through long sentences. So he's really worth a look at. Um, and, and, you know, when I mention poli- politicians, you have to go, you know, everybody needs to suspend their judgments about, about where their party politics lie, essentially, because there are great speakers on on your side of politics and on the opposition of your side of politics and it's really useful if you watch all of them mm. uh, donald trump is an extraordinary speaker uh simply because he uses some of the classics of nonverbal in order to get his message across and and show things like defiant power uh, so he's using some some tropes that go right back to Roman coinage. Hmm. Um, uh, so, for example, the profile use of profile, the use of a jutted out chin uh, as as a sense of defiance, um, the use of very confusing gestures on purpose. He'll use asymmetrical gesture on purpose in order to confuse, and then he'll switch to symmetrical gesture in order for people to get aligned behind uh, a very, very simple um, message, uh, essentially. Um, Obama was a great speaker in terms of his ability. So so part of nonverbal is the rate at which you speak. And at the moment, I'm speaking at a pretty fast rate because... Um, uh, you know, just because I'm trying to get out a lot of information. <laughs> but Obama, he would speak often at this kind of rate. And imagine, imagine the strength of words when they have so much space around them. Every word counts. And that's very different from the rate that I'm speaking right now, where you kind of get the sense of, you know, every word doesn't count. Some are more important than others. It's, I haven't really thought about every word. Whereas with Obama, you got the sense of him thinking about mm. every word. Again, very symmetrical speaker as well. It, you, an interesting point there. You, Obama, my, my feeling was when he would speak, it's as if he was thinking through every single word he was saying. Yeah, yeah. Which is interesting. And to Trump... Uh, and no politics here, but when when looking at his communication style, is that something that you believe is is that he studied or is just something that he's acquired with his uh, in his years of experience? Well, he's 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 studied it, picking it up through experience. You have to remember he did. I can't remember how many series of The Apprentice, but he made a lot of TV. Right, and right. it's really it's really difficult making that amount of TV. It's really difficult being successful, uh, and and the, and essentially the um, the kind of linchpin in that piece of TV, the axle, the, the in that piece of TV. What it means is, is he he cannot mess up in that TV. He has to get it right, and the, and his performance has to be accurate and on point each episode. 
Otherwise, the episode falls to bits because the status figure crumbles and we all go, well, why are they all... Why are they all challenging themselves to do this? Because look, the big boss is like, he's, he's nothing. He's like, but, but Trump performs it incredibly well. Hmm. Yeah. And, and that you don't do that by accident. You do that, but by the, the way that we all get good at the work that we do, which is we are persistent. We get help. You got, uh, you know, really great uh, help from Mark Burnett. We wouldn't be watching TV like we watch it right now without Mark Burnett. Yeah. So, so he, he has the, the production help and direction help and mentorship of one of the innovators of modern television. So you can't expect that this guy is then showing up to be president without being a brilliant communicator. You know, politics aside, um, what you have there is is actually a formidable communicator. Yes, yeah. I, I see where you're going there. There would have been a... Well, I, the, the main point is study and practice is what leads to becoming incredibly powerful at, at the art. Right. Uh, other than that, you've got accident. And, and sure, I mean, I've seen a lot of accidents that have come up trumps. It's like everybody's been to a card game where the novice is winning, mm. you know, but you can't do that all year. Yeah. Yeah. You can't rely on that as a strategy. You can't strategy. rely on that. You can't yeah. rely on that strategy. Yeah. Can, can, we, can we discuss some of the science behind the communication? Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's, uh, now that we've got some visuals of, of powerful communicators, uh, all politics aside, can we get into that science? Because there's, there's a lot there. Yeah. So look, there's many, many um, uh, now uh, great uh, pieces of science that have been done that help us understand what the best techniques are and, and also why they they happen. But let me just go into one piece of of science that I think is kind of useful in terms of looking at why people may be attracted to one message over uh, another message. Um, you know, regardless of, of what the message is, what, what should we put around that message that helps us be attracted towards it? So we've got a, a, a neurotransmitter that we all have in our brains called dopamine, and we make our own dopamine. We can't be fed it anyway. Um, and, and there are things in the environment that trigger that dopamine and things that uh, lessen the amount of dopamine that we might have in our brain. First of all, uh, the important thing that dopamine does is it triggers the idea, the feeling that things are going to get good. It's the neurotransmitter of good expectation. Not as some people say of, of feel good. Uh, it doesn't actually make you feel good. It makes you feel like things are going to be good. And then there's other neurotransmitters that then come into play that give you that satiated feeling of, oh, that was good. And, you know, if you're pitching people or trying to attract them to uh, your, your organization, your share price, your idea, whatever it is, first of all, you have to give them the feeling of this is going to be good for you. So then the question is, is well, what are the environments that cause us to feel things are going to be good? Well, there's some elements within the environment that will do that. One of them is status. One of them is, the, is, is if we walk into an environment where we feel like we are going to have command of resource that is valuable, and we're going to have a lot of command of resource that is valuable, i.e. we're going to be high status, 
then essentially that will trigger our dopamine system and we'll go, well, this is going to be good. I'm going to pay attention to this. If we walk into an environment where we have certainty, where we feel like we, we have an idea of what will happen in that environment, we've got a good uh, we think we'll be able to predict it well. Then again, our dopamine will go up and we'll go, this is going to be a good environment for us. We should listen to this. If we go into an environment where we feel like we have some choice, we have some autonomy over the environment, then again, our dopamine will go up and we'll go, this is going to be good. So status, certainty, and autonomy, those three elements are known to trigger our dopamine and cause people to do what's called the approach response. So to let's just say lean in to the message, either mentally or actually physically lean in to the message because they see, you know, ripe fruit in front of them and an advantageous uh, environment. Does that does that make sense to you? Yeah, I interesting to hear that. Okay, I you know I always I, I view dopamine differently, uh, but now. In understanding how you're putting it forward, it, it it I can see the the connection there. Yeah, so a lot of people have viewed dopamine in terms of the feel good thing, where they go something good happens, and and that is a result of dopamine, and dopamine gets triggered. Right. Um, that that's that's not entirely true. The environment suggests something is good is happening or going to happen dopamine gets triggered and that starts a set of responses that move us confidently into that environment to try and be there to pick up the result and then so, so we, let's let's back this up to something sure. as simple as i see a peach hanging on a tree and yeah. get triggered with dopamine that something's good is about to happen and yeah. which motivates me to go take yeah. and lean in and grab that peach yeah and and be satiated by you know a, a wonderful piece of fruit, right? And the satiation happens when you've uh, eaten it, mm-hmm. and so when those sugars, those high sugars, for example, um, hit your mouth, they go in directly through the roof of your mouth. Uh, the, those high sugars, things like dextrose, for example, sucrose, dextrose, certainly dextrose, one of those uh, very small sugar molecules that would be able to get through the roof of your mouth, that'll hit your brain immediately. And suddenly there's a rush of blood and the vagus nerve will pick that up and it'll go, wow, this is fantastic. Hmm. And that's where you got the satiation. But what got you there is dopamine. Interesting. Interesting. You know, it's all this, I, I like to tie it back to the world of evolution and, and, and just how we are as humans as, as to be, you know, quite frankly, simple primates. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Simple, prime, simple primates, but possibly the most complex of those simple yes. uh, primates. But ultimately, yeah, yeah. ultimately, yeah, the, the, the simple system is the same as that primate system. You know, how does, how does, the, how does the chimp um, you know, how does the other, how does a marsupial, um, know to move towards the fruit where it's got a dopamine system in there works exactly the same way. Now, when the fruit goes into the GI tract, yeah, a whole bunch of other things happen with all kinds of other neurotransmitters. You know, um, they, if a chimp eats a whole bunch of carbohydrate, leptin is going to spike. That leptin level is going to cause them to feel, uh, satiated and and more relaxed, and so they're going to be still for a while and 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 feel 
comforted for a while. Well, what's the benefit of that? Well, you can digest the fruit. You can't if you're still running around. So blood can now be moved to the GI tract in order to take those nutrients into the rest of the body. So the leptin has done a, a function of calming uh, the primate down in order to keep it still enough uh, in order that it can do the job of taking in the nutrients. The emotion of satiation uh, has a result in causing digestion to be able to happen. I got you. Okay. And so in, in taking the, that bit of science and, and really the, the, uh, how do you say that? how to, to trigger that dopamine for, for to, to get somebody to, to lean into you, into your presentation, into your message. Uh, if for the person presenting, what, what's an easy takeaway? What's one thing they could change and put into practice uh, as a piece of advice you could give to, to help uh, support that? Yeah, really, really simple one. So remember I talked about um, certainty, that if your audience feel a sense of certainty, they're going to lean into the message because their brain produces dopamine because it's going, we, we're getting an idea that this will, that when we think it's, this is going a certain way, it goes that way. And a more certain environment, a more predictable environment for human beings is a more advantageous environment. Imagine an environment which is totally un unpredictable. Everything is unpredictable. Yeah, you, you, it's unsurvivable. It causes it would cause you huge anxiety and after a while depression. So no, no human be, human brain is designed to want to move into that environment. It just suffers it essentially mm. or moves out. So how can you be? Um, how can you create certainty in your audience's mind non verbally? Here's a really easy way: be symmetrical with your gestures. Make one side of your body do exactly the same thing as the other side of your body i.e. do not be asymmetrical with your gestures. Be symmetrical with your gestures. Uh, now, oh, Donald Trump, by the way, will use asymmetrical gestures in order to create anxiety in his audience. And then he'll drop into symmetrical gestures in order to create a sense of comfort. So he'll move them from anxiety to comfort. He puts certain words with that and images and, and, and metaphors with that in order for, for them to attach anxiety to some ideas and comfort to other ideas. It's incredibly skillful what he does there. You can do the same, but I would say you mainly want to play with comfort, which is symmetrical gestures. And starting with, I mean, I'm picturing the what's become the classic Donald Trump of having just his arms kind of out to his sides, his, his elbows down by his, uh, by his kidneys there and his, his palms open. Yeah, so that's gestures in the truth plane. That's symmetrical gestures in the truth plane. He's doing open palm, symmetrical gestures in the truth plane. That's to trigger people with the idea of trust and credibility. Hmm, fascinating. Now, on, on the flip side there, there's trust and credibility there. Uh, your your latest book is, is Truth and Lies. Mm -hmm. And in that, you speak to, uh, well, to spotting inconsistencies. Yeah. What should we look for if I was a, a broker or an investor or even a CEO looking to do a deal? What should I be looking for in the other parties communicating that are, that are potential signs? Yeah. So if you're actually looking for where is there 
risk here? Where might there be true risk here that we're not being told about? So where is there anxiety in the presenter? And, and we want to be looking for anxiety around the, the, the content, not anxiety around the presentation of the content. And we've got to get this really clear because um, often we will mistake anxiety around the presentation of the content for anxiety with the product, with the idea. So we've got to know the difference between, between the two. So one of the things, uh, well, look, if I were really looking for it, here's what I'd do. I would actually get them to record for me sonically the pitch. So if I was really looking for where's the problem, where do I, where may, may there be some problems here? I would start relying on sound only because we're very bad readers of body language and we can be easily tricked with body language and easily get the wrong end of the stick, even when we're not being tricked with it. Sound By is perhaps somebody who's, who's a, a true professional. Uh, well, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. A true pitch person. Who can? Who knows the countermeasures for anxiety? Who knows how to create the effect of trust and credibility? But but what would? But if they've if they're trying to let's just say con you in some way, and they're good at that, your chances of seeing that are very very low. If they're good at it, because they're just doing their job. And they're good at their job. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if you're looking, if you're really looking out for that, I'd be saying you want to just get somebody to record the pitch and you're going to listen to that. And you're going to listen for uh, things in the voice which, uh, which break up. There's breaks that you think, hang on, that's the flow of that has stopped in some way, or there's a big difference between the way that they said that bit and the way that they said that bit. Now, this means nothing at all other than it's notable. And when you, when you note something in changes in the voice, more extreme changes in the voice or stutters in the voice or, or almost like they put brackets around words or ideas by leaving gaps around them. And there's a bunch of other, other things, and you'd be able to pick them up in, in Truth and Lies. We talk a lot about deceit in, in that book. But when you pick that up, then you want to go back to that person, or you want to start doing your due diligence, and you want to go, look, we want to investigate this area here. We want to ask them more about this area here. This is, I, I noted such, such a change there. I don't know what the change is about, but there was a change in the way they were talking there. I want to investigate that specifically. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, I see where you're going there. And, and I can think back to pitches I've seen where uh, perhaps the, the physical presence was, was inspiring, but the words, even there is a, you know, a tremble in the voice. Right. That, that there was some inconsistency there. Yeah, okay. Interesting. Right. Yeah, so when people are, uh, are giving me, when I have a project where I'm looking for deceit, for example, and people go, hey, you know, can we show you this video? You know, usually I'll say, well, don't give me the video right now. Just, just send me the, the, um, the soundtrack. Just send me the sound. I'm just going to listen to that. Or, or, I'll, if they, uh, or I'll take the video and, and I won't look at it. And I'll just listen very carefully and start to note in the text 
where I feel that there are significant changes and I can't work out why. I'm thinking to myself, no, that didn't fit. There's a significant change there, or there's a subtle change there. It doesn't really fit what they're saying. So there's a difference there. And, and I'll think, I wonder why there's a difference there. Now, I could make up reasons why, but that's not what you do when you're doing due diligence or investigating. You find out the most probable reasons why. And you do that through more intelligence gathering, more interviews, more talk, essentially. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Well, thanks for that. I, it's um, I'm drawing on past experiences and and uh, can picture that and uh, <laughs> perhaps wish I had some of this knowledge before. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Well, you know, the 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 problem is is that our, a lot of our knowledge of nonverbal and deception detection is just a lot of folklore that we pick up a lot from from the internet and and so forth, and uh, and so. Look, I, you know, I would, if you're interested in this, if people are interested in that, this, do pick up Truth and Lies, What People Are Really Thinking by myself, Mark Bowden, Tracy Thompson, the co-author, uh, because that will take you through a very simple, tried and trusted method by interviewers, interrogators, um, of how to get closer to the truth of what somebody is saying to you. Excellent. Okay. You... One of the things, uh, you know, by no means is is the podcast a a plug or a pitch for for your work, other than being, you know, it's great to have you on, and and I say that because I don't want it to come across as being a uh, uh, a pluggish podcast. But I want to talk about one of the training programs you have, mm. and that's the the work you do on on presentation training. Yeah, and absolutely. Because, I mean, that's how do we raise money? We get in front of an audience and we pitch them. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I'll start with that I, I tell uh, CEOs is when you get in that room, you don't pass out the, the pitch deck first. <laughs> you leave nothing in front of them because you're the, you're the, you're the center of attention. And, and way too often, I see people hand out the deck and then people sit there and flip through it, get bored, grab their phone while the CEO is presenting. Yeah. And, and, and where do they flip to? The last page. <laughs> with, right <laughs> to Where work get- out like what what is the what, what are they asking for and what what's the what's the payback on it and like oh and then they're like well that doesn't fit that doesn't fit it, with with zero oh. context they're drilling into the numbers <laughs> right. and uh yeah it just you know you can you can avoid all of this so so in the training you do there what are what are some of those core concepts that that you put forward that uh that the audience should know yeah so so uh exactly what you're talking about there which is which is how do you take control of the meaning uh and how do you do that non-verbally so what you're talking about there in terms of you know handing out don't not starting by handing out your pitch deck and allowing them to flip to the back page and and what you're allowing them to do is control the meaning of you and your idea for them and 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 that's like that's fine if they get the right meaning, but chances are they won't. So what my training does is to help you control the meaning all the way through a presentation, whatever type type of presentation it is, uh, in order to get to the end result that you're looking for. And what I'd say, look, you know, just so this isn't um, a uh, a pitch, I'm just going to give that training to anybody who wants it. Um, so, so, 
you know, so you can go and take the training. Then you'll know what it's what it's about. It's completely free to you. So oh, well. all you'll need to do is go to bit.ly forward slash winning keynote. And we can, I'm sure we can put that in show notes. Of course. Yeah. But bit.ly forward slash winning keynote. Go there. Uh, you'll be able to pick up the training there. You, you, you put in your name and your email and it sends you login de- details. Go and take the training. Uh, enjoy that um, and, and, and have it. And and then you know that's awesome. it's much, Thanks, Mark. I mean it's much better that 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 people have this content and don't make these mistakes when when they've got such good ideas. You, you know, um, as I say, we're we're both in in Canada at the moment, but I'm sure you have um, uh, international um, listeners as well. Uh, but certainly from a Canadian point of view, you know, it's it's good that as as Canadians we get our best chance at getting great results uh for ourselves for our communities for canada in general so go and get the training awesome awesome well we'll definitely put that in the show notes and uh uh, any other points that somebody could take away um from that uh otherwise and and see you're you're saying you want to control the message and the meaning for the for the room yeah you want to control the meaning and people are making up the meaning from your nonverbal, they're and making what, up what you mean to them, what you mean to them. And unless you control that meaning, you have no idea what you're going to mean to them. But you've probably got in your mind, well, I would like me and my content and my product or service or, or idea, I'd like it to mean this to the audience. Okay, well, then how do we construct the imagery so it means that? to them mm. so it can only mean that to them yeah. and, and, and we can bring this all back to this even taps into the world of of the the early work you did even in in um advertising and theater and politics there because i mean in essence you're moving into that boardroom and you're you're constructing the meaning you want them to take away and it's part theater yeah. So, so in politics, for example, we'll often have one word that we're working with. In advertising as well, one, one idea. We've got one idea that we're going, we want the audience to have this one idea in their, uh, in their mind. How do we rally them, corral them, bring them down a path so that the majority have the best chance of that idea lodging in their mind. So when they think of us, our product or our party or this particular politician as prime minister, that word, that feeling comes in to their, to their mind and their very being and their body. And they start doing the action that is, uh, that we're ascribing to that idea as well. So it's, so we're being very, very, specific and so you look you know when it comes down to hey you know what are the techniques of that well it depends what result you're trying to get just depends what what result you're trying to get and look and the more of my work that you get into the more you read and watch the videos link in with me i put videos up many times a week with with tools and techniques around this to help expand people's vocabulary so they can go oh if we want people to feel hopeful here's the nonverbal communication that might go with that if we want fe- people to feel distrusting of something here's the nonverbal communication that 
can go with that. If we want them to feel scared of something, here's the nonverbal communication. If we want them to, to feel trust and credibility, here's the nonverbal communication. Awesome. Awesome. So uh, a question I have, it's not so connected to, uh, to the points of where we're going down, but uh, you're, you're a high energy individual and a vibrant person that, that can be captivating or you are captivating on stage. What about for the person who believes either they, they're not that person or they just, they don't come across as that, uh, they're a mellower personality. Yeah, sure. sure. How do they apply some of these skills? Yeah. So, um, so that's the idea that that personality is kind of one side of a one-sided coin, whereas personality is actually uh, usually a set of personas, a set of ideas, uh, some of which can be quite opposite to each other sometimes, that you know, one idea often gets presented in one type of situation. So you might go, well, I'm a kind of a mellow kind of person. What, all the time? There might be a time when you get quite excited. So you're saying you never get excited, you never, you're never exuberant, never ever, never have been. Well, you know, there might be the odd person that goes, no, I absolutely never ever have been that, never. Mm. It's like, okay, that's kind of interesting because, you know, there's some feelings there and some, some useful uh, human emotions that you seem to be missing it even at the, the smallest scale. But even if you're able to find somebody who says that, usually you can go, well, you know, imagine yourself being really exuberant. And they go, oh yeah, I can do that. Yeah, I can imagine myself doing that. And you just go, well, do that for me now. Instead of just imagining it, do it. And then <laughs> they start doing it. And they go, and you go, how does that feel? And they go, well, it feels a bit odd because I don't do that, you know, very, I've never really do that. But you go, is it impossible for you to do? And they go, no, I just did it. Well, okay, so it is part of you then. Like it is part of you because you just did it. Now you can't tell me that you've never done this because mm. you just did it. Now, often, often we don't have behaviors or some feelings, either because the behaviors or feelings have felt risky to us, or we've just never had the opportunity or the mentors to show us how to use those feelings and behaviors. But the moment you get somebody doing, doing it, they go, yeah, I quite like that. It's quite good. And then you can go, we'll do it even bigger. Imagine you're doing it for a thousand people and then they start to do it big and large. And you go, can you, can you do that? They can go, yeah. And you're like, well, could you do that on a, on a, on a podcast for 30 minutes? They go, yeah, I could probably sustain it for 30 minutes and then I could relax afterwards. It's like, yeah, so you can do it for, for 30 minutes. Cause look, the, 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 the exuberance and the excitement that you're getting from me right now, that's not me all the time. That would be impossible. Mm. Imagine me at home talking like this all the time. Your, would, your wife be, would, uh, would probably get pretty tired of that. <laughs> you, I, I, I wouldn't be able to stand myself. <laughs> that would be terrible. Yeah. That would be terrible. So no. So I, so, but, is, but am I making this up? No, this is me. But this is me for a certain situation to get the result that I'm looking for. Hmm. Why? Because I care about the result. I care about getting the result. Getting the result is, is important. So it's not inauthentic. It is not an act. It's me. It's part of my persona. And we can build on that persona as well. It is not set. People change and develop, thankfully. 
So you may go, oh, I don't have that persona right now. That doesn't mean you can't have it. You can develop it. You can learn it, develop it, practice it, get used to it, make it a part of you that you can bring out when it's most useful. Excellent. Thank you for that. It's, uh, I think that helps apply to everybody, even those who've got vibrant personalities and, and those who, who uh, uh, are less so. I'm, I want to be uh, respectful of your time here as, as we're coming past the hour. I, what, one of the questions I have is, you know, once somebody's mastered the training that you give and they, they're, they've taken their speaking to the next level, um, what's next? And maybe mm. to expand on that even in other words, is what do you see as the future of communication? Yeah, great. Uh, so I think the next thing is, it's a couple of kind of next steps, is, is when you've mastered some of that nonverbal, then you might want to go into the mastery of the verbal, which would be to your use of metaphor. Your use of metaphor, is, and that's really your use of the most powerful thing in verbal language, which is the idea of metaphor. Metaphor um, creates something uh, that that something isn't, and it makes it that. <laughs> it, it, it transforms something into something that it is not. Um, I'm, I'm in a very real way. Painting a picture, using words yeah. to help paint a picture. Yeah, yeah. So, so when we say... Um, when we say, you know, and I met this, this person and they had a really sunny disposition and a really sunny attitude. Well, no, hang on. The sun is a ball of hydrogen billions of miles away. How is that linked with somebody's feelings? But yet when I said they had a sunny dis disposition, a sunny attitude, somehow you went, oh, okay, all right. <laughs> Yeah, I'll buy that. Like them, yeah. It's nonsense. Because <laughs> it's nothing to do with the sun. It's nothing to do with a ball of hydrogen. But of course, what it what it does is it it gives us that sense of life and energy and and the daylight and it brings us into the day. Oh, so for example, um, uh, when anybody's pitching, think about the simple metaphor of darkness and light. We have an instinct to move away from the darkness towards the light. Yeah. Mm. So when I'm talking about where your money is now, yeah, uh, in cash, your money is in cash at the moment, locked away in the depths of that bank, you know, lonely <laughs> and in the darkness. But invest it with me, bring it to me, and we can shed a lot of light on exactly how that money can grow, how it can blossom and get bigger and take advantage of the, of the energy and, 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 and light out there. So do you see how I've put your cash in lonely in the dark? No, it's not lonely in the dark. It's not. There's probably lights in the vault. It's not in cash anyway. It's numbers in a computer. But, but somehow you, you probably saw that imagery. And when I started talking about investing it with me, I used the metaphor of growth and light and blossom. It's, it's not a plant. It's not an organic thing. But, but suddenly you went along with it. You didn't go, now stop, Mark. That's ridiculous. It's, not a, <laughs> it's nothing like that. Yeah. Yeah. But you, 
I could see the feelings that come from that in, in the use of uh, this, well, effectively the strategic use of those words. Right. And I'm being very obtuse about it because I want you to get the idea. You can be more subtle than I'm being. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Quite, <laughs> quite honestly, <laughs> you know, you can be so subtle, you know, and often we are so subtle that you would never notice that you would start performing based on the metaphor. You would start to live your life. We actually, we live our lives based on huge amount of metaphors, a huge amount of ideas that things are something that they're actually not. It's just hmm. not true, but it's useful. The metaphor is, is useful. And uh, it's, a, it's a really powerful way to, to, to trigger the brain into uh, positive correlations, if you will, or positive right. connections. Right. So often when people are pitching, they're using their verbal language in order, to tra tra in order to move data around, to give you data. Use email. That's Just use an email. That's a great way of, of moving data around. If you're using your, your verbal capacity to its maximum, you want to be using metaphor. You want to be transforming the world that somebody is in through the use of words and imagery and the brilliance that the human brain language has, which is it can make up things that do not exist. Hmm. But that's the next mastery to, to go to. Fascinating. Fascinating. Well, Mark, thanks so much for this. Uh, we, we talked about um, putting uh, a link to your, to your course in the show notes, um, as well as how should people uh, follow your work and where can they find uh, uh, everything you're doing? Yeah, so so obviously link in with me, uh, Mark Bowden. Find me on LinkedIn and uh, find my website at truthplane.com, T-R-U-T-H-P-L-A-N-E, truthplane.com. Find me there and go and get that training at bit.ly forward slash winning keynote. Awesome. I'll put all that in the show notes. And uh, Mark, thank you so much for taking the time. My pleasure. Great speaking to you. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Insider's Guide to Finance. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share this with your friends and colleagues so they can benefit as well. You can also subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or the Play Store. Your support there is really appreciated. For future episodes, if there's a question, topic, or specific person you'd like me to interview, feel free to reach out. You can connect with me on LinkedIn or through my website at creativereturn.ca.